Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. I'm Jason Fox, and this series is all about adventure, resilience, and inspirational humans. The podcast is presented by the Book of Man and in partnership with Talisker, the single malt whiskey made by the sea. My guest today is Denise Lewis, the iconic British track and field athlete who won Olympic gold at the Sydney Olympics in the heptathlon in 2000. Someone who showed throughout her athletics career the value of resilience, hard work and beating the odds. She's now, of course, a presenter for the BBC and generally one of the best loved faces in the country. In the episode, we answer some questions that you've asked me on Instagram. I'm going to be sending a bottle of Talisker to the top question. In addition, Malts.com are offering a 10% off promo code TALISKER15DE, redeemable at checkout on www.malts.com until the 30th of November 2020. Discount may only be used once for individual Talisker distillers' edition products for sale at £100 or less. No minimum spend, but a delivery charge may apply not to be used in conjunction with any other offer and gift card purchases are excluded. 18 plus and subject to malts.com terms of sale. Here we go. Hope you enjoy this episode. Right, here we are with the legend in many different arenas and lots of different careers, Denise Lewis. Thanks for coming on, Denise. How are you? Hi, Foxy. Listen, it's an honour to be on your show and uh, listen the podcasts I heard have been fantastic they've been brilliant so I'm really honoured to be on it. No no not at all I've been looking forward to this one because um, I mean we've met a couple of times I sort of pl- didn't play golf with you but you were in front of me but I tell people I play golf with you because it's a bit better better, better than saying <laughs> I was you know just in the background in the periphery. Uh, you had a, you had a good game if I recall. It, well, I wasn't, I'm not good, but yeah, it was one of my better games. Um, okay, so, so obviously starting off, we're here to chat everything about Denise Lewis. Um, how's this year been for you? Because it's, it's been odd, isn't it? Odd is an understatement. It's just been, at times, you know, the height of lockdown. So, you know, March, April, around that Easter time, I thought, Yes, although globally this is a real nightmare, but it's an opportunity for myself, others, and particularly me and my family to spend quality time together. Mm. Um, For me, I use it as an opportunity to get fit again. And I loved every minute of it. You know, it was back to the sort of the old days, training twice a day, really getting into some serious like weights and cardio, just ticking off all the boxes in all the areas. And I was just amazed at how fit you can actually get in, you know, 12 weeks, which is something yeah. that I used to do on a regular basis. So there was that side of it. But as it's gone on, 
and here we are, you know, nearly towards the end of the year. Mm. I'm struggling. I'm struggling um, not only with the cabin fever mentality, but just living in the brace position of not knowing mm. which way this whole virus, how life is going to resume again, if we ever will see like normality. And so I've just got to keep telling myself that, you know, we will get through this. Mm. And whatever's on the other side, human beings adapt. And that's what we'll have to do. Exactly. I think uh, the way I've looked at this is it has been a, a massive time of in- uncertainty and, and there's been a lot of people that have suffered in it as well. I appreciate that. Yeah. But this is this phase we're in is we're just learning about what we need to do going forward. And ultimately, we will get through it as humans. We adapt very you know quickly. It just takes a bit of time. And when you're in it, you're like, oh, Christ, this is taking for ages. But it's what needs to happen, I suppose, and we'll 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 be we'll be out it out the other side, and people, you know, there'll be there'll be massive opportunity as well, but people just need to see it in a positive the opportunity, not the not the negative that it is. But anyway, that's me yeah. back up enough about that. Um, <laughs> the um, so just to explain this podcast, there is a bit of structure to it, believe it or not, but it might not feel like that as we're going through it. But and at the end, what I do is I, I revisit Instagram because we ask. Um, listeners to send in their questions and I've already had a quick look through this and I don't know what it, I don't know why but you seem to have generated the most uh, the most funniest of questions oh my goodness in a good way not in a bad <laughs> okay way. so we might I might read out a few but I'll pick one that's the winner because I think there's a few that deserve to be read out but I need to go and revisit that at the moment anyway um first things first which is an odd phrase, but anyway, we'll use it. First things first, you are about to be on a show called Don't Rock the Boat. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, watching it. It's where, if I'm right in thinking, you rode the length of Britain. And Correct. There are, without, I mean, I've done a little bit of rowing, but without giving anything away, how was that experience? Let's just start with a sigh. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I knew it was going to be a massive undertaking, you know, as you said, you've rowed before, open water is very different to, you know, rowing in a lovely boat along the Thames. Um, It was bloody tough. It Mm. was tough by my standards. Um, I'd like to think I'm pretty hardy, but, you know, it was just relentless, you know, the sleep deprivation so we rode through through the night um that was tough um getting used to the different personalities everyone sort of came onto the show for different reasons and you'll know this for SAS and Mm. the competitive Lewis was like okay this is about a race to the end different stages let's give it our all and not everyone was on board with that at times uh, and so I had to adjust my thinking yeah to make life pleasant you know you're sleeping mm. on the boats everyone's getting tired as the weeks are going on but for me personally it was exhilarating and something that I really needed in my life again you know again yeah, yeah. after after lockdown to be out in the open air to to see this the beautiful English and British coastline as we did was just yeah. stunning and to really test myself again. You know, I was getting a bit soft around the edges, you know. Um, 
you know, life as a mom of four, sometimes you just need a challenge. Awesome. And I mean, to be fair, I've actually spoken to a couple of other people that were on it and they said almost the same sort of thing as you. I think they've, they've both got very competitive streaks in them. Oh, um, I'm sure you know who I'm on about. I but, know exactly who you're, you're talking about because your name did come up a few times. But what would Foxy say? What would Foxy do? <laughs> well, I'm not, but yeah, yeah, the truth would probably be a lot different to what I'd, you know, what what, what you reckon I might have said. But, um, <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is, that's awesome. But I mean, actually, as we speak about this, it's actually, this comes out the day after your first step goes. So just so people are trying to work out why I'm talking in the, future tense it's not the case it will be in the past tense when you start to watch this how many episodes is it i think it's on all week so five nights oh. on yeah oh, on, it's uh, a week long that's good yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot that we've packed in a lot we've yeah packed in yeah a lot. You, and you've got freddie presenting haven't you and or yes. hosting and um aj and aj well. i don't do yeah yeah, yeah. a great combination those two yeah, what a, a winning formula, I have to say. Yeah, she's yeah. got great energy. I know you've met her. She was um, on SAS, wasn't she, a couple of years she ago? Was. She so. did very well, actually. She has got a lot of energy. Yeah, full yeah. of energy. Uh, what was the biggest problems you experienced out on the water? Um, uh, keeping, <laughs> keeping people going. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, just literally, you know what it's like. You, you know, you think you're in a rhythm, and you need a rhythm to keep the boat moving. That's one of the biggest philosophies: is keep the boat moving, no matter what you're doing, however you're moving around on the the, the, the vessel. Um, you just got to keep keep some sort of, you know, this ton weight going. Because once it stops, it's like it, it's like you know, giving yourself a hernia trying to get that thing moving again. And so. Yeah. When you're really tired, um, you're, the food um, didn't appeal to everybody. You know, you're trying to, <laughs> you know, graze, keep your energy going, keep the calories pouring into the muscles, and you're expending a lot because you're on the water for hours. Those are challenging. And I knew that at times, if people didn't eat, we were going to pay the price later on. But the nighttime rows were just hell mentally, um, in the dark. You could hardly see anything. You know, we had Storm Ellen at one point um, back then. And, and it mm. was just like, they're not going to let us die. This is not going to be an interesting show to see. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're lost at sea. Someone, you know, capsized or something. So you just had to keep your head in the right space for a yeah. lot of that. So did you, um, I'm not, I don't want to ask too much because I know it's, it's going to keep continue on, but... Who were the contestants on it that you wanted to... I've got to be careful how I word this, actually. Who were the contestants that you wanted to beat the most? Not beat up, beat. Oh, beat. All right, OK. <laughs> uh, well, there were two teams, and that's become clear already. Um, there's two teams, and so it was just beating the opposition. The opposition. As many times. Yeah, as many times as you, you possibly can, because, you know, the show's in stages, and so the legs were... You know, obviously had who, was on the, who was on the other team? I'm not sure I can tell you that. Boxing. Ooh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Although yeah, this but they had some out, pretty, pretty competitive people. It does go oh, out right. after, so I'm sure the teams would have been announced. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Do I trust you? You can yeah, trust I me. Yeah. Of course I do. Yeah. Well, on the other team, you had Victoria Pendleton, who yeah. you know is just fiercely competitive. Yeah. Jodie Kidd, yeah. again, she should have been, you know, a top flight athlete. She's yeah. got the mentality, she's got the staying power, and she, I call her alpha female. Yeah. 100%. So you can imagine those two together. It yeah. was just a nightmare. I mean, a I nightmare. Dread. I feel sorry for the other people on that team. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there are um, a lot of, um, how can I put this? There was a lot of conversations about how to keep that uh, team harmonious. And you need, the, you need the harmony. You absolutely you need the harmony do. to get through it. You do, but you also need the drive in those individuals as well. Oh, is... Completely. And, and as you can imagine, Jodie and Victoria had that in spades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I can imagine, yes. Um, right, moving on, and we're going we're gonna to now move in a chronological order, I suppose. So essentially, <laughs> we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to start with athletics. And, you know, when did you, when did you first get into it and why? Huh. The, the why is actually really easy very easy I was eight I watched the Olympics um, in Moscow so that was 1980 daily Sebco yeah Ovet just they call it the golden era of athletics and I was just summer holidays so you're sitting there watching and I was like wow that's just phenomenal and I was already a sporty kid you know I loved running at school up and down the yard at school I was organizing races between different the different classes. So, you know, yeah. 3B would race against 4J. And, you know, so I was already sort of had that competitiveness in me. And so when I saw that there was somewhere to take that, it was just like fireworks. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to at least be an athlete. I didn't realize the stages, what that entailed. But I wanted to learn how to be better than just running up and down at school. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, as you, you well know, there is always that person that you meet or people that you meet along the way in your journey that act as those, they're almost pivotal in your decision making. So my very first coach at the club in Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton and Bilston AC, just made my first experience amazing you know i was walking to yeah. a stadium that i've never been to before um i'm an only child my mom took me down one year before i was allowed to go because they said i was too young at eight so i had to wait till i was nine so on the day we were back there and that first coach who just just made the sessions fun mm. and he made me want to go back for more and repeat that process and have more fun learning the disciplines um track etiquette and patience and all the skills that you, you need for life and yeah. I think had it been an environment that was probably too competitive or too unfriendly I might never have gone back again so he was the one that I cite as kept he pulled at my heartstrings and I was like yeah I love this love this feeling isn't it good how um like a less aggressive sort of push into a sport makes you more driven probably it makes you hungrier for it 
because it's become more enjoyable because I think there's a lot of things that the enjoyment gets taken out of it at an early age because of the 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 I don't know what it is it's like that persistent aggressive push you know and and want for um I don't know to be first which is obviously a good thing you know I'm not saying that's a bad thing but at an early stage in someone's especially a sporting career if it's if the child doesn't enjoy it, then they're probably not. They're going to fall out of love with it a lot quicker. Definitely, I agree with that one hundred percent. I I just think we're almost uh, victims of our own progression. The more we know, the more we expect. Um, yeah. So you know, back then it, it was still a hobby. You mm. know, there, there's none of this professionalism that's attached to to sport these days. Um, yeah. And so you're allowed to develop almost organically, naturally without you know that expectation of of being the chosen one and driving that ambition through yeah almost the coaches want it more than the kids sometimes or the parents want it more than the kids do and and i think that is a a crippling effect for 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 young people especially when they're not sure how they feel about the sport they want to do it but they want to just see and pit themselves and make their own decisions about how successful they want to be and whether they want to be professionals or whether they just happy being knocking around with their mates or playing county cricket or whatever it might be yeah. and I kind of seen that with my son to a degree because he was um he was at a football academy um just recently released and I can't believe I'm saying this but I think it might do him the world of good yeah um, not because we're particularly pushy parents it's just that I don't think they made it fun they no. didn't make it fun. It just became too much like, you know, judging a young person. And I've seen it with some of his other, his peers that they're not hungry enough. They're not aggressive enough. When sometimes, you know, you don't always have to be that aggressive, but you've got to be ambitious and hungry. And sometimes those characteristics come later because you learn to be how to nurture that aggression in a different way. How can you yeah. judge that at eight nine ten or even 13 year old kid it always seems to be a, like in my ex i mean I'm, i was never a professional athlete but i've watched a lot of you know professional sport and top end sport throughout my life and it seems now that it's it's a mad rush to get kids to an, a certain level because because athletes nowadays are so much younger than they were when i was a kid when i used to watch they seem a lot younger i think they seem i don't know it's a mad rush to get teenagers to be comp- to actually compete at a, at a pro level and i think that's that that mad rush can be a bit of a shame sometimes and it probably it probably destroys some people's love for something that they did actually genuinely love in the first place it's sort of yeah it's mental how that, how that seems to have unfolded i might be wrong but i, I genuinely think that it just seems to be a mad rush <laughs> I, I think you i think you're right i just you know I, one sport that does spring to mind and you know we, we see in gymnastics and that's a whole nother story but with rugby in particular you know how many of these sort of 14 15 year old boys look like men because they're probably training way too hard because the yeah. aspiration is to to get to uh, you know, a, a really top club, maybe play for for England one day, and they just—they're eating all the proteins, they're taking the shakes, they're doing all of that stuff. When 
they're still developing and still learning and they're getting too big, probably too soon. Um, I, I just think there is time as a place and I can say that wholeheartedly because I'm a product of that patience. Yeah. I'm a product of that patience, you know, yeah, just yeah. learning your trade, feeding your way through it and, and making the right choices um, along the way and having patient people around me actually. Yeah, it's it's weird because I've just I'd, I was out in Australia earlier this year, and uh, I had to do the quarantine, and I got an, in the quarantine. I had two weeks of basically watching the NRL, and I love I proper love it. It's an, an, an it's a hardcore environment, but they've been chatting on the thing over there about this. I think he's like 15, 16 year old kid that's playing in the schools, but he's wiping the floor with all the other opposition school teams out there. He's this one-man band that can literally, because he's quite powerful and dominant. And they're actually considering signing him up to an NRL team. And it is, I can't even think, can't believe that they're actually considering it. I think they need to let him, because he's going to, if that happens, he's going into one of the hardest hitting sports on the planet at the moment. And it will, I think it will destroy him as, a, as an individual, maybe not a player, but, I don't know. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but it's an interesting conversation. I just um, think sometimes the me mentally, um, you're not as far as ahead in the game as you possibly are physically. So I mean, this 16-year-old has the body probably of a 23-year-old man, mm. but mentally, he isn't ready to join the big boys. No, he absolutely he, isn't. Because he hasn't had any hard hits anyway. Because he's no. You know. Anyway, we're detracting. We're detracting. <laughs> We're supposed to be talking about you. So going back to you as a young athlete and, you know, you're learning that you're le learning your trade, I suppose, aren't you? Um, do you f were you a natural talent or was it or were you more along the lines of putting in a lot of hard work? No, definitely not the latter. <laughs> I was <laughs> I, I was a, a talented um, child, but I think like we, we just spoke about each stage you're always going to come up with somebody who's better than you. Yeah. It's quicker than you, can jump higher than you. Um, and that was my experience at town level, district level, county level, and early international, junior international level. I'm just, there were people that were just like, okay. So I thought I was good, but I'm actually just okay. And some yeah. people are just still so far ahead of me but it didn't determine, it just didn't. I just thought, okay, I'd need to improve. Yeah. yeah. How do I just get better? I and mean, whether that's physically or is that how to deal with not, um, not being the best or not running as fast. It was always trying to find a solution to that. And by the time I became um, a junior international, um, I, I still was very much passionate about being in athletics because I was still having fun. Yeah, yeah. I was still having fun. So fast forward to the Commonwealth Games of 1994, which I was 20. I was sort of under the radar. No one really expected me to, to come through and win a, a medal of any description, let alone win it. Yeah. And that was sort of a turning point for me mentally, that even with all, I'd say, the limitations or the things I didn't know about myself, because I had no had no understanding of what it takes to win really mm. i'd just been thrust into this position by a really solid two days performance and one as someone would say lucky javelin throw that made me you know 
just accelerate up the leaderboard and win. Um, and there was still a lot to learn. Out of order, yeah, it? it was. It was. It was in the headline. It was the headlines. I literally beat the favourite, the reigning Commonwealth champion, uh, Jane Fleming, who literally for her it was just she was going to rock up, retain her title. There was no one on paper that duty, looked like they could challenge duty her. Duty for her. Duty attend. You all got it in the bag, <laughs> type thing. Yeah, yeah, and so this little little girl from Wolverhampton rocks up and you know made a competition of it and ultimately won. And so I didn't know what that felt like. And so I, I had to learn a lot about what it takes to win. And that's when I sort of turned everything inwards and started thinking about my nutrition. There was going to be no more trips to, you know, get no Colonel Burgers for me anymore. Um, you know, you go through those, that teenage phase where, yeah, yeah. you know, you just want all the grub because I wasn't allowed to have it at home. My mom, you know, we didn't have much, but she always cooked really good food. I haven't left wanted... the phase. <laughs> Still in it. <laughs> oh, God, I don't really laugh, but you know, that junk food craving, I just thought, you know what, you know, we need to start getting serious now. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a great story. And I didn't even really know about that, to be honest with you, because I was, I was, yeah. I know, I know all about your history, but I don't know the intricate stories of some of it. Um, I t I've got to ask you, what did you did you initially go in and think, right, I'm going to do heptathlon because I like doing all of the events? Or was it that you sort of, how, how do you become a, like a heptathlete? Because it is quite, it's the gnarliest of disciplines. In fact, it's not, it's the gnarliest. For me, track and field is about, you know, the heptathlon or the decathlon, whatever you want to call it, because yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a super exciting way to watch athletics and, and the leaderboard changes and each person's got their own strengths and weaknesses and they play yeah. it out and all this sort of thing. But how do, you, how do you choose to become a heptathlete? It's funny because I think a lot of athletes don't tend to choose to be heptathletes. Some mm -hmm. do, but not many. You usually start off with the single events, which almost is counterproductive to learning which events suit you mm. you know i think every child should come into an athletics um uh, club and try everything and yeah. some people coming i want to be a sprinter i want to be a sprinter because you know let's say when usain bolt was around everyone wanted to sprint yeah uh, maybe back in the day when carl lewis everyone wanted to long jump um but for me i was a really strong and true club athletes so you know people used to drop out all the time so that Saturday competition you know there'd be gaps so oh Denise what do you will you just throw a shot put for us um, yeah, yeah. yeah no problem oh will you do the hurdles yeah not a problem but I did love hurdles and long jumping those were my two events that I did from yeah. sort of the get-go in, in in athletics and I would say I'm a product of good discipline at the, the from my very first track I tried a bit of everything and so I was capable, capable. And my coach, I guess my coach in, my, in the teens, my teens phase, he was very much, oh, why don't you try heptathlon? Why don't you give it a go? And mm. I was like, mm, yeah, maybe. I'd watched daily as a child. I knew yeah. about Mary Peters. And I think having a local heptathlete that was also um, a, a Commonwealth champion um, she'd been to the Olympics and she competed at world championships on my doorstep. Yeah. You know, I would converse to her with her, you know, a couple of times a week at the local track. And I think seeing her 
I got more confident that, you know, maybe I could do heptathlon, you know, I didn't train with her, but she was always there for advice. Yeah. And um, I took part in one competition. I absolutely loved it. I loved the camaraderie, the chatting, the testing yourself. Um, hated the 800, mind you, but I still enjoyed that physical challenge. Yeah. And I didn't look back. That's my story yeah. to have tap on. I hated the 800. That's because it's nearly a kilometre of sprinting. Exactly. <laughs> Even if you saw if you saw me run, it never ever looked like a sprint. Trust me. <laughs> you, you take um, when like aside from your wins and all the great things that go with your career, do you take pride in knowing that you were a heptathlete? Because ultimately, when as a kid, when you think about the Olympiad and everything, that's it was about that, wasn't it? It was about being a master of a lot of disciplines and who could jump the furthest, the highest, who could run the quickest. It's yeah. It, there must be a lot of pride to be in the arena as a heptathlete, you know, with a, with all your other, con, you, you know, your opponents and that. Definitely. You feel like you're part of the the original, the origins of, of the yeah. event and the whole Olympic spirit, you know, higher, faster, stronger, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, there's something magical about combined events. There really mm. is. Um, even now when I'm watching, you know, the, the guys compete and it's, in the heptathlon or the decathlon, there is a sense of unity, which is yeah. quite refreshing in, in a, you know, an individual sport. Um, you see that the crowd enjoy that journey of the athletes, uh, but through the two days of competition, the, the highs and lows, it's literally like a drama unfolding each time. And um, I, I just think the mental game and we know there's mental game and there's a mental application that you have to have in all sports, but you know, you'd never really truly switch off over those two days because if you're not visualizing what to do in your downtime, then what you're doing, you know, you're constantly living, feeling the events, thinking about what's coming up next. Um, you understand the point scores, but you just try not to immerse yourself in that too much. You let the coaches deal with that. But it's really taxing. It's taxing on the mind. Mm. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's amazing to watch. I, I, that's about as far as I know. That's about as far as my knowledge goes. I don't know about taking part in it, but but, it but awesome. you know about but you know about the mental application and and what you've got to have um, when things aren't going really well, like yeah. boxing, heptathlon, and and you know that the next event you have to turn it on you've got to turn it on. So you have to hone in specifically on the one part of that skill that makes you better and that's going to give you a likely outcome for success. Yeah. I like, I like the way you talk about the visualization where even in your downtime and it was the same, I'd, I would, I'd like to suggest it was the same as a professional soldier. You, you're there with a group of guys and even before you do anything, you're just getting yourself in the zone and you're trying to think about every eventuality that could happen and what you'd do if it went that way or this way. And yeah, there's, you know, there's, if you're going to be good at something, you've got to get yourself into visualizing what's going on and how it feels hundred percent. Completely. Um, first serious competition. And when did you, when did you start winning? How long after you first, did you, I mean, did you win your first serious competition? First serious competition. Christ. Um, they all feel serious when you're learning, you know, but if you're talking about internationals, 
big international competition, right, Foxy? Because I would say that would be that Commonwealth Games that I talked about in 94. Yeah. That was a big deal for me. It was big for my, my club. It was big for the region because I'm, I'm a Midlander. Yeah. And it was, you know, I started to enter the international domain, you know. Yeah. I was no longer just in my small pond anymore. I've just got a foot and a toe in the big, big, big league. You know, because yeah. now every time I was introduced after winning the Commonwealth Games, I was introduced as Denise. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Lewis, Commonwealth champion. And it's like, you know, wow. you, you hear that and you kind of like, they're talking about me. That's me, <laughs> that is. <laughs> and so you've got to, you've got to get used to wearing that jacket, you know, and that coat and making mm. it feel comfortable. And um, yeah, that takes a while. That yeah, takes yeah. a while. But then it's it's what spurs you on to push yourself again, isn't it? To take yourself out yeah. of your comfort zone again and, you know, make the Commonwealth champion, some make that title something else, you wear something else. So with that in mind, let's go back to the Olympic gold um, because you you were carrying injuries, weren't you? Yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. It was just... What was, what was that like? That, that, what was that Olympics like? Those were, in my mind, they were supposed to be my olympics you know even before entering the arena all mm. that's in that olympic cycle that four-year that olympiad from 96 to 2000 it was always okay i've done one yes not that feels like got a medal but i want the big g um mm. and so i always thought that four more years i'll be ready i'll be ready mm. and so to be injured having set a, com a new Commonwealth record. Um, I was ranked uh, number one in the world. And then like 10 weeks before the start of the, the championships to be injured, Achilles tendon, an injury that I hadn't had before, just, it floored me. It floored me. Because yeah. I just thought, why? I'd made so many decisions and right choices. Um, I moved to Holland, I worked with a Dutch coach. There was a lot of things that I did all in the name of performance and getting better and to give myself a fighting chance in Sydney. So to be, to ha have that stumbling block, um, yeah. I was, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. And that, again, I had to rely on my team to, to, to build me up, not only physically, but mentally, but also my coach at the time, Charles Van Comene, um, was amazing because he said he sat down with myself and my doctor um and said to you look denise there is an, a small outside chance that you could be ready in time for the games but it's a very slim one yeah but if, if you if you say you're going to go for it 
we'll do everything we can to, to make sure we give you a fighting chance, but um, it, the decision is yours. And so my coach was very much of the opinion that what, if you commit yourself to the process, I don't want you whining and complaining, you know, about worries me. You're going to focus on your other leg, your mental approach, your arms. We can still train around the injured part, but I yep. need you to be committed. I can't have you living in the why me. Yeah, and yeah. That, that was a, a, another game changer for me because it allowed me to stop thinking about the medal and about the outcome of possibly winning the championships. It was very much of what can you do today? What mm. part of your training can you focus on? And take and taking those tentative steps to recovery. You removed that sort of victim mindset, I suppose, and Correct. got you the positive sort of fighter's mindset, I reckon. Correct. Yeah. What um what was it like? You know, obviously you've he's he's prepared you psychologically, I'd say, but you've still got that niggling in the back of your head going into that Olympics. What was it what was it like when you actually stepped out into the onto the you know the track and field onto into the stadium and you you started to compete how did it go to talk us through the you know that the the table you know with all the other opponents that you've got against you there how did it what was the emotional roller coaster like well they you know talk about trust is a big thing and i trusted my team you know i had an excellent physio just first class you know really really new stuff and he said, he, I used to have to take my, my ankle every time I moved. So from my knee down to the, my midfoot was taped. Yeah. And I had to do that every single day for those nine weeks and during the championships. And so it was almost precision, methodical routine. And when I walked into the arena, I had to trust my leg. I didn't want to think about it. I only wanted to be a competitor and think about the performance end of it. Um, but you can imagine when the gun went for that first 100 metre hurdles, which is the first event of the two days, my heart was racing. You know, you had all the Union Jacks flying. Everybody sort of knew that I was injured because they could see the taping, but they were behind me. And I crossed the line. I ran in all right time but in relation to my biggest competitor I was still in the mix and that was a massive relief and so once those sort of handbrakes the handbrake was off I was fully into the competition there was no thinking about the injury um, until I did pick up a second injury later on in the competition but at the time at the beginning of the competition I was raring to go what was the um, second but ah so day two, start of the long jump, I completed one jump and at the start of the second round, I had this ridiculous pain in the opposite foot. So my left leg had been taped, that was the problematic one, but my yeah. right foot had just decided to, to pack up at that stage as well. And I was just thinking, for the love of God, what is going on? Is there some other force at play here saying that you shouldn't be here? Why are you here? Um, so I, I took my, my second jump um, and looked at my physio and like, you know, my foot's hurting. You know, everyone's kind of going, what's going on? So I went back into the sort of the recovery room, 
physio room and everyone was like, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I just can't put the weight down on my foot. It's killing me. And so there's this mm. mad scramble of like trying to work out what we had to do. Try not to panic. You go on ice. You do all the things that you're supposed to do. Um, I had a big gap because there usually is a big gap between the first event of the second day and the penultimate event, which is javelin, one of my strengths. Um, and so I had time to figure it out. But as the javelin, the time sort of started ticking on, the hours were going, the pain wasn't really subsiding. Um, so it was just, it was just one of those championships where you just, you just couldn't write it. At the time, we were thinking, how is this even happening? And eventually, my doctor said, I can give you like a, a pain-killing injection, but I still had the 800 meter to run. So I didn't want to do that either. And mm. he understood that. And he said, okay. My coach then took charge because he's like, I'm the overarching person here. So no, no injection. Let's try and tape it and offset the pain. And let's the chips almost fall where they fall. You know, we've, been, we've got this far. Let's just see what happens. Um, had a great javelin. I don't know how, but in my mind, I just was like, you've got this far. You've walked this journey for this moment in your life. You know, why? Just, just don't lose it now. You'll yeah. never get another opportunity like this. And that was, that was the sort of the calling, the thing that was keeping me going. Yeah, yeah. So um, you get to the end. You've got. How did it feel knowing that you'd won gold? <laughs> What's that feeling like? There's relief, as you can yeah. imagine, with the injury. There was relief. There was like this crazy kaleidoscope of emotions. Of you know, you see yourself as a child. You know, it was like a flashback of your life. You know, you see the people that have helped you. You hear the, you know, the crowd behind you, you know, I could see my mom and she was bawling her eyes out. Um, my coach was standing there with a sense of pride in his face. Um, my team, my team managers, my, my girlfriends, my team members were there screaming, whooping. It was just overwhelming. It was overwhelming, but I was a long way from home, you know, in Sydney. Um, yeah. And that, emotion then just kept carrying on when I got back to the UK it was just another sort of tsunami of emotions and realizing how much one performance could affect other people in such a positive way even though it was like tough and an emotional roller coaster you know with everything with the injuries especially as well do you still when it was over did you look back on it and like did you miss it did you miss being in that moment or were you glad it was over and that you've got the golden, yeah, <laughs> done and dusted? I think there's, there's two things. I think you, you miss, and if you're talking about retirement or just that moment, I mean... Not just that moment to begin with. Just that moment. Okay. So just that moment, you, you just relive it. And it's not whether you, that you intentionally are trying to, but it is such a, a life-changing experience you know to be to stand on the podium and hear the national anthem it just never sounds the same in your ears you know it's just just so uplifting that it's really talking to your core mm. and that i i have that you know did you get emotional just, inside i was emotional but i was at the time i was overwhelmed and so i, I just didn't know what to think or feel it was just my whole body was just tingling um mm. 
I didn't sleep a wink that night. I had the medal on my pillow next to me. I couldn't celebrate really because I was in a house with other competitors and some of which, which were still competing. And so, you know, by the time you get back to the village, it's like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Um, crazy times. Next morning, you've got like a, a schedule, you know, a media train that you have to address. And so you don't actually have much time to, to digest what's happening. You're retelling the story, you're retelling the emotions, and it's almost like autonomous. You know, you just don't quite register that it's happening to you. Yeah. It's like you're on a conveyor belt of... Yeah. You're going over the same thing, isn't it, over and over again? Yeah. With different journey. How did, you, how did you handle the limelight at the time? Whether it was out there and, and also coming back to the UK, because obviously it was a big thing to come back, wasn't it, with a gold medal? Yeah, I just don't think it's limelight in, as when you're part of a greater team. So Team GB, you just feel like you've represented your people and, you know, and how much aspiration and inspiration that gives to your other competitors, you know, within all the different sports. Because we all try and keep a tap on who's doing what, who's yeah. on that day. And so there is a real team feeling and so it's, it's not limelight. It's like, I've, I came out here to do a job. I've, I've done my job and, you know, yeah, we're all in this together. You know, someone else's failure can feel like a celebration, even if it's yeah. not that person, you know? So there's that unity, which is very, very special. Um, but the greater public, it was, um, it was kind of weird. It was weird because, you know, in my head, I'm still the same person, but now you sort of elevated to a different, I don't know, just a different life, you know, say it's rock and roll, but it's, it, it was, you know, you're invited to nice places, you know, went to Buck House a couple of times, you know, Buckingham Palace had a nice meal with the queen, you know, you get to do nice things, which is really special. And every, all the moment you're just pinching yourself. You know, I could go to the grocery store and people stop you. They want to do all of that. Um, but after a while, it does feel quite intrusive, you know, yeah, yeah. because ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm quite a you know, down-to-earth person. And, you know, people don't understand that when you lose your anonymity, it takes some getting used to. You know, yeah, yeah. you could just rock up and go places. You know, that's, it's hard to deal with, especially when you're still you know, in your your early, you know, I was 29. Yeah, yeah. 28, 29, still dealing with all of that. Still quite early in your life. Um, but, you know, fast forward a good few years, you just normalise and just realise that people are just really proud of you. And so yeah, yeah. you try, they enjoy that moment with you. Well, um, I mean, yeah, gold medal winner is just unbelievable. But uh, what do you think was your, what was your drive? What kept you going at the top levels? You know, how did you maintain that? Because it is, I mean, I've got no idea when it comes to Olympic training camps, but you've got to dig deep, haven't you, sometimes? Because it's, it's relentless, especially when you're trying to be the best at seven different disciplines. Uh, what, what was your drive? What, what kept you going? I just, I think it's that just self improvement you know they say success makes you more hungry almost you know you just want to keep that in that bubble because your your expectations are, are now high 
you know, um, you know, fourth place, fifth place. It's just not acceptable. It doesn't feel comfortable anymore once you've won. Yeah. And, you know, when that eventually started to happen, you know, my body breaking down post uh, sort of 2004, so the Athens Olympics, things didn't go well for me at all. Mm. You know, it just is like, no, I, I don't like this. I'm not in control anymore of, of how often I can train, how long I can train, and the amount of pain I'm in. I'm spending more time on the physio bed than I am sort of training. Then it's not fun anymore. But at the time when you're in that sweet spot, if you'd like, for want of a better expression, of success and training, it's, mm. that, it's that need to tap into the potential that you, you believe is still there. You know, and that's what keeps you going. Yeah, so yeah. me jumping 650 or 660, I feel I can jump 670. So mm. let me try and invest that energy into that. Um, yeah. You know, we're talking about marginal gains here, you know, 10 mm. centimeters. You know, you train all year round pretty much for 10 centimeters in one event, that is, obviously. <laughs> it's mad you when know. you know that. <laughs> People at home are like, oh, they, they're they just training to be the best. And you're like, ah, the, to be the best actually involves just like... <laughs> it's that, yeah. It's 10, 10 centimetres. It's half a second. Yeah. You know, it could be uh, like it's two metres. It's crazy. When you think of it like that. So you, uh, you've spoken about 94, the Commonwealth Games. You've spoken about the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. What... Are there any other career highlights? I mean, they're, they're obviously, that's like the beginning and then that's the pinnacle, but are there any others? In terms of competition, I think, you know, retaining my, I guess, yeah. I mean, there's sort of, there was always something to be, to be pleased about, to, to rejoice or celebrate. Um, you know, although I finished second in, in one of the world championships, I actually threw the most incredible shopper. You know, you look at my form and my physique and you think you wouldn't put the distance with my body, put it that way. Yeah. You know, so to achieve that is mm. really a golden nugget. Yeah, yeah. I didn't win. I didn't win, but on the day I actually performed at my very best, you know, with all the, the, the issues that I had beforehand, you know, few injuries pre, you know, in the mid, middle of the season, which um, I think just cost me uh, you know, on competition day, but that's sport, you know. Yeah, but yeah. that shot put for me, I'll look back with very, very fond memories of, of just beasting it, beasting it and feeling like I was a shot putter for the day. You <laughs> <laughs> were. Um, okay, so we'll go forward again to the, obviously you, you spoke about 2004, the Athens Olympics, and, you know, we, we don't need to talk about that too much, but what it does lead me on to ask you, what it leads me on to talk to you about is how did you start to, how did you begin to wrestle with the idea of retiring and how, how was that mentally? Oh, hell. Yeah. Absolute hell. You know, you know, being an athlete, being a sports person is, is a lifestyle. You know, it's everything. It encompasses just absolutely everything. It defines you or you believe it defines you and who you are, what you represent. You know, you don't have to, tell people what you do you know you get these financial advisors you know it's like actually what do you do um no i'm a sportswoman you know what i do it's you know it's everything and so having to to 
deal with retiring and the realization that I was not at the level that I wanted to compete. I was, it was just tough. It was tough. And I, I just think at the time, I didn't feel like I had enough support mentally, physically. I didn't feel that I had a place to go to, to talk about my feelings. Um, and it sounds kind of crazy to say that when it's an individual sport, you can, people would assume that you just make the decisions and it doesn't kind of work like that because these are, you know, affairs of the heart, you know, and, and sometimes when you are in a bit of a downward spiral, you don't have that objectivity that someone else may have. And I think looking back with hindsight, I needed that, you know, I might've segued into another sport, which, you know, a few athletes do do now, um, but that com- those conversations weren't had. So I kind of slipped away quietly. There was no fuss, no fanfare, nothing. I just was like, okay, it's time. Bye-bye. How did you deal with that? Do you, th- do you think you dealt with it quite well? I, I know I dealt with it better than some. Yeah. And maybe the, because I had achieved the ultimate, perhaps perhaps made me deal with it more um um maybe a bit better than some and also a family i was starting a family as well um so there were things that i could say could distract me from the pain of retirement but um there were some dark not say dark moments but some very quiet moments where there was some soul searching um you know you go to fill in that occupation (laughs) box on forms and you kind of like well, I'm not a sportswoman anymore. Who am I? What am I? What am I going to do with myself? I think you know, you, it's um, hard. Yeah, but I think obviously you you went from one purpose to the other, like this the family thing. That's a purpose, so maybe that lessened the blow. What would you put down now if you wrote if you had to write occupation? By the way, don't know. Just yeah. <laughs> still don't know. <laughs> still working it out. You're a presenter. <laughs> I, I I do um what is it not applicable? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. yeah you I enjoy do. that. I, I, I do. I I am I am and I do. I I have to say that um, London 2012, although I wasn't competing, did save me and did give me a lot to look forward to because um, mm. I was part of the presentation team that went out to Singapore that and we actually won the bid there so I had to speak and do a little speech out there um so I it gave me purpose it gave me a feeling that I was doing something meaningful again so that was back in two, that was 2005 I remember it I remember I remember I was in a I was in a military base somewhere eating lunch I can remember the moment when they said oh yeah London has won the 2012 Olympics it, it, that was that was a massive achievement when you think it, about it Huge. So to answer one of your other questions is what was the other career highlights? For me, that was hands down one of them. Although it was me individually, it was, I felt part of a team, which I was, the presentation team, but also that feeling that Britain were going to get something that they have never really kind of got before, you know, in the new era of, of modern sports, that the Olympics were going to come to London and just be awesome. And they absolutely were. delivered on so many counts it was an exciting time that in 2005 and then it was you know it came to it came to life in 2012 and i mean it must have been awesome to be a part of that as well or you like you said not but 
there was a massive buzz, wasn't there? And I remember coming up to London and I, was, I lived away at the time and, you know, there was a there was a big sense of pride for people and it was like, there was a, a massive buzz about it, wasn't there? It was, it yeah. was all glad that I experienced it. Yeah, it's just even now talking about it, I get tingles, you know, down my spine. It's just, it was so, as you said, it was national pride. It was just that moment of seeing people enjoying and embracing Britishness in all its glory, in all its colours and yeah. unity, um, with, coupled with fantastic performances. You know, it was just just great. And then we had the Paras as well, Paralympics, which was just like a game changer for the Paralympic movement. You know, it was just it set a new bar. Yeah, set a new bar of expectation and, and engagement, which was phenomenal to watch as well. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Do you reckon you need a certain mindset to be a good presenter, especially in when you present sports or athletics? Well, we're, we're, we're live, you know, so it's, it's yeah, you've, you've got to be, that readiness that you talk about, you know, we're almost kind of limbering up, waiting in the wings to, to go on and perform. Um, yeah. You know, with a, hopefully the interface between, you know, the action, um, what's going on behind the scenes, which there is a lot going on behind the scenes. Anyone who works in television want to see that it's, you know, it, it's that um, the duck on the water. Everything looks like it's going seamlessly on top and then behind underwater, the legs are going, ah, going crazy. You should make um, a TV show of that. Just oh, they should. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, there is a certain mindset. You've got to be adaptable. You've got to... Um, you know, again, realize that you're part of a team because there are things going on which some person will rely on you. And my role as a pundit, and especially when you're live, and you're not studio, you're you know outside broadcast. You know, things happen, and yeah. your team has to trust that you can actually fill the time. No one wants you know dead space on television. You know, you've got to keep that turning. Um, and you, you you know, when you've got a good team around you, it's it's almost almost effortless. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good to watch. I do enjoy it. Uh, we're right. We we're coming close to readers' que or listeners' questions, should I say? Yeah. But, but before we get to those, I want to just um, ask you what what's coming up, what what's next for for yourself. Well, I've got a, quite a, a, an exciting project coming up, but I can't. Again, I can't tell you much about it. Oh. We have to wait and say. I know how boring. I know. I'm sorry. But you know, I'm sworn to secrecy. But um, I'm I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good spot. Put it that way. I'm I've been doing doing new things, as you said. You know, you will have watched hopefully the first ep of um, Don't Rock the Boat, which was was just phenomenal. Um, and also, you think in the next year we've got the Olympics again. So it's you know you're going to blink. It's Christmas. It's Easter, and you know it'll be all roads. Hopefully, fingers crossed, will point to, to Tokyo. You're going to be quite busy then to next year, really, aren't you? With all that in mind. Well, this, next year. This show that's going out, obviously now, don't rock the boat. Which is um, what time's it going out? Nine p.m. ITV One. On nine p.m. ITV One, don't rock the boat. Uh, and then, obviously, you know Tokyo next year. It's going to be exciting, yes. hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully. And, you know, not that I'm in long-term strategy mode here, but, you know, 2022, we've got the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So my 
patch is going to come alive with Commonwealth action. Um, I just can't wait. And so Birmingham has taken on a massive facelift. Um, it's undergoing a facelift right now, and it has even over the last sort of 15 years, you know, it's unrecognizable from the, the place that I used my old stomping ground as a, as a kid. But yeah, 2022 Commonwealth Games is going to be great. And then Team England's competing. We hope, obviously, hope to do really, really well on home soil, utilize that home advantage. Um, naturally, the Australians will be coming over uh, looking to dominate, but hopefully, our athletes will be ready and the country will be ready by then with hopefully recovery. It'd be give people something to look forward to on home soil again, which would be really nice. Cool. Right. We're going to go on to these uh, Instagram questions. There's a few um, that I'll read out in first that uh, they're not winners. I'd like to point out one of them is by Victor Sakifio. He's won it before anyway, so he can't win again. But I want to read out yeah. his question. Are you ever just too lazy to get out of bed and then think I'm an OBE now? Uh, so I can just uh, lay in. <laughs> I love it. I crave those days, those lying days. You, you've got a youngster, haven't you? I have. I've got a two-year-old. And it, well, yeah, he's, he'll be two next month. And I'm just like, what are those days when you could just lie in and watch Dross TV till sort of 11 o'clock in the morning? You know, those yeah. things don't happen anymore. They don't. Uh, so forget the OBE. My children just can't, won't let me do that. They're too demanding. They don't care about the OBE. They, they're not interested. Not interested. Right. So here we go. The winning one. Now, this isn't, I'm not being biased here. I'm just answering, asking, a, you know, I'm asking what I think is a slightly more sensible question. Not that the others weren't sensible, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Get yourself this in by someone called Sophia Fox 6 says, hi, Foxy. Denise, what is your favourite heptathlon event? If you could go for a run anywhere in the world, where would it be? And finally, slash weirdly, what's your favourite cheese? <laughs> oh, I, I like, I'll go with the last one first. Um, cool. I love a bit of Gruyere. All right, yeah. Cheese. Nice. Yeah, nice bit yeah. of stinky cheese. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good one where would i run if i could run anywhere well funny enough i haven't been to new zealand oh. i have never been to new zealand so oh. i'm sure i'd love to run there because it just everyone tells me it's it's an amazing place south um, hmm? what's that south island the south island yeah. monica that's, that's pretty so, see so that's where i should be running right yeah, I, I reckon you'd you'd probably like it there if you're going to run anywhere. Yeah, is it flat? Is it flat? Not really. Uh, it, you could, there's bits of it, yeah, but it's it's predominantly known for its mountains. So. Okay, no, then that's not me. That's definitely well, not, not me. Really I, around Wanaka Lake, that's flat because it's around a lake. Yeah, there, then that, there, that's fine, and it's sunny. It normally, yeah. Yeah, that would that will do. Okay. And then ultimately your favorite heptathlon event? I'd say I'd say javelin because it it bailed me out of so much shite. <laughs> <laughs> with with your lucky javelin throw. My freaky lucky javelin throws 
they've they've won me medals put it that way so Good. i have to pay homage to the javelin the javelin all right awesome well anyway that that draws our podcast this this podcast to a close uh denise i really want to thank you for coming on it's been really enjoyable and i've enjoyed listening to your emotional ups and downs going through you know starting athletics winning gold winning the commonwealth games and then going on to be and and winning the 2012 olympics as well to come to london and also going on to be a great presenter thanks very much for coming on thank you mate see you soon yeah likewise see you in a bit there we are big thanks to denise and i really hope you enjoyed it don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and follow me and the book of man for the latest news thanks again to talisker for supporting this podcast and thanks to all out there for listening see you again soon